Uh, Open your Bibles to Esther chapter 2. A woman wrote to her husband who was serving some time in the local jail for armed robbery, and she asked this in the letter, when is the best time to plant the potatoes? The husband wrote back, don't dig in the potato patch now, that's where I hid all my guns. The prison mail was monitor, of course, and soon the potato patch in question was being dug up by the whole squad of policemen, but there were no guns to be found. Again, the wife wrote to the husband in the, pri- in the prison saying, they've dug up the whole potato patch, she complained. Her imprisoned husband smugly wrote back, the patch is now properly tilled, you may now plant the potatoes. <laughs> Never underestimate the creativity of people. Um, you can see that a lot of times is, uh, when I was in the military, one of the things that was a common saying in dealing with that is one of the worst things to have is people who are very bright and have lots of time on their hand. No good could come from that. So it was important to keep those people busy doing all sorts of other stuff like painting and all the other fun stuff. But back to the book of Esther and Esther chapter two, we left on a verse 10 And it says there that Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. So one of the things we have to understand at this point in time is nobody knows that Esther is a Jew. Nobody. The only person that knows is Mordecai. Nobody else understands that in in the scheme of what's going on. And that becomes important when you get to the end of the book of Esther about who knows what. In verse 11, it says, And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. So because he was a person who was allowed to be at the gate, that was his functions. One of the abilities he had is there was a whole area of the town that was walled off. That's where the king and all of his stuff went on. So, but even with that, where it came to the woman's house, he could only go to the outer gate, the outer area of that, and basically try to find out what was going on with her. He couldn't go in. Uh, not everybody was allowed to go in. Uh, you know, today we live in a, a society that we have our rights about this and that and, you know, fill in the blank about whatever particular rights that you think you have or don't have. Um, but back then they were very, you know, detailed on those kinds of things. Here is the only people that were allowed to go in there. If you weren't on that list, they killed you. It's really simple. It's like when I was up at uh, Sub-Base Banger, um, they have upper base that had the rent-a-cops and then they had the lower base. Well, the lower base had a certain area that had Marines. And with the Marines, they had signs on the fence that says, if you cross this fence, the horizontal plane, uh, this is my interpretation of what the sign says, we have the right to shoot you. So I want you to think about this in perspective is for the Marines, the most excitement they could ever possibly have is somebody so stupid decide to climb the fence because you may make their day. I mean, because you're sitting there on that job for I don't know how long their shifts were, eight hour shifts, six, 12, you know, whatever their shifts are. You're sitting there with utter boredom. And if somebody decides to start climbing up the fence, you know that there's a Marine there with an itchy finger going, please keep going, please keep going, you know, that kind of a thing. Well, the king had the same kind of setup where all the ladies were that you couldn't just go in there. There was only certain people that were allowed to go, the stewards and some other people. Anybody else, they killed. That's just the way it was. And so because of that, Mordecai, because he loved and cared for Esther, he went as close as he could get to where he could talk to, you know, kind of one of those relay messages through other people, you know, kind of like back in high school and stuff like that. You know, you'd write down a note and pass it down to so-and-so and hopefully nobody read it or the teacher got it or whatever else. Now they can just text it, you know, directly. But back then in the old days, you couldn't do that. 
uh, you know, there are a lot of things you couldn't do in the old days. Like the old days, if you wanted to make a phone call for somebody, you know, well, the first thing is phones operated different. Uh, one of the most hilarious videos I've seen recently was a whole bunch of teenagers and they had a rotary phone and the dad made a bet with them. They had so long to make a phone call, could not do it. They could not make a phone call. Um, you know, and cause the old days, the phone was like usually mounted on the wall somewhere a lot of times. And if you're lucky, you had one of the really long cords so you could walk around a little bit, you know, and you'd be like this, you know, trying to talk to somebody with that phone. And, you know, you do the little ringy ding and you hear that, you know, all the noises and everything else. And then they got fancy, got button phones. You know, you didn't have to do the thing and sit there and wait for that first digit to come all the way back before you dialed the next one. You know, praise God for technology. But that technology is not always a benefit. The side effect of that is in our society today, we have people that don't think at all, and they're typing and saying things that come out of their mouth or out of their fingers without actually processing it through their brain of, what are you actually saying? And that's the unfortunate thing is we've got people to the point where everybody thinks that their opinion on whatever the subject is, everybody must know. You know, I just had the greatest breakfast or whatever, so I'm putting a picture up on Faceplant or Instagram or whatever else, so because everybody must want to see this. I mean, because I'm that, you know, I, I, why wouldn't they kind of a thing? Well, remember back then, that's not how society operated. Uh, it was about what the king wanted. What the king wanted was important. And uh, one of the things that to remember about that is Esther grew up in this capital city with Mordecai, and she probably spoke the native language fluently and not with an accent. You know, it's it's like one thing, for example, how many people here have ever heard anybody with a southern accent, Right. You're not fooling anybody if you come up here with a southern accent and say you were born and raised in Washington State. Right. You know, another example is you're driving up by Seattle and they have this thing and you, if you call it Puliup, we know you're not from around here. Yeah. Right? And there's all the other Indian names for the rivers and everything else around. You can, you know who a local is or not by the way they say things. I want you to turn over to, uh, Judges chapter 12. Judges chapter 12, or back to Judges chapter 12. Judges chapter 12 and verse 5. And it says, The Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so that when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? And if he say nay, then said they unto them, Say now Shibboleth. And he said Sibboleth, for he cannot frame to pronounce it right. One of the things they used to do back in World War II is they had different code words that they would use knowing if you were a native speaker, you probably couldn't say this word right in English. So if you were German or Japanese or whatever else, they would be able to tell a little bit about that for the most part by using this code word. That's what the Jews were doing in this case. Understand, if she went there and they couldn't figure out she was a Jew, she blended in. How she talked was the same as everybody else there. It wasn't she was speaking Hebrew And everybody there wasn't. It wasn't. And even then, when she spoke, she had to speak just like they did. Otherwise, people would figure it out. You know, when I went to boot camp, we had a lot of people from the South. It was very evident who was from the South and who wasn't. It was also very evident those who were from, like, New York and Brooklyn. We didn't have to wonder who those people were. Well, one, they would tell you. Uh, But two is, you know, they wanted to make sure you know. 
Um, and two is you could tell by the accent they weren't from around here. So when we read that, some of the times we just skip right by that. We don't think about the fact, put yourself in that place is she's there. Nobody's figured out she's a Jew. Part of that is her mannerisms, the way she talked, the way she walked, all those other kind of things were such that everybody just thought she was a local. Nobody knew any different. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, 37, it says, but let your communication be yay, yay, and nay, nay. One of the problems that we have is a lot of times we have a society now where we want to say stuff and God's like, how about you just say yes or no? How about you don't have the long dialogue? How about we just get straight to the point? You know, sometimes we're so busy, you know, especially if you're listening to politicians or has anybody here written a letter to one of your politicians, especially on the federal level or state level and got a reply back. I have several times sent them emails. I've gotten a written letter back. I've read the whole letter because it takes up the whole page and says absolutely nothing. They've got all these words in there and some of them are really big, fancy words. But when you actually sit down and what it is, you could have replied back with a blank piece of paper and it would have been the same exact truth because it didn't actually really say anything at all. And that's not the way we should be as Christians. Um, one of the also uh, the things that I think is very kind and very neat about this is you, you really see the heart of Mordecai, the fact that he's constantly trying to see how Esther's doing. Uh, you know, one of the things it is, is sometimes when you show love for people, everybody has different love languages, as they call it, different ways that they do things. But here, everybody can see that Mordecai has a care for her. This also tells us that other people around don't know that Mordecai is a Jew. Because they would, you know, put two and two together. You know, unless you're, unless you're, you know, low, mo, or uh, mo, curly, and, uh, uh, Larry. One with the hair, right? Because th- for them, two plus two is three. But for everybody else, two plus two is four, right? You would have figured out, well, if he's a Jew, then, you know, relatives, that kind of goes together. Uh, in Esther chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now when every maid's turn was come to go into King Ahasuerus, after that she had been 12 months, according to the manner of women, for so were the days of their purifications accomplished, to wit, six months with oil of myrrh, six months with sweet odors, and with other things for the purifying of women. Now there's a whole bunch of things you could say about that, but according to them, in order for a woman to get cleaned up enough to show herself before the king, it took a year. Think about that. One year. This is taking, in theory, a clean virgin woman, bringing her to the capital, and they said right there, okay, well, we got six months of this and six months of this, so it's going to take at least a year to clean you up to get you presentable before the king. Now, I don't know what else involved in this. Maybe there were other cultural things. Maybe you had to learn all of the uh, traditions and other stuff about how things were going to play out. Because let's face it, everybody's traditions are different. Uh, you know, um, sometimes uh, traditions can be a big thing as in family, and sometimes they're not at all. As an example, one time we went over to a friend's place for Thanksgiving, and we had pho for Thanksgiving. There was no turkey sacrificed at all in any way, shape, or form, and we brought carne asada to that. So, you know, just... Now, I know some of you must think that's actually, you know, just sacrilege that you could actually have Thanksgiving without turkey. Um, don't worry, we made it up with killing and eating lots of turkeys at other times. 
Uh, but that, you know, some of that stuff is your traditions. So the traditions of how you act can tell people where you're from. They can tell some things about you. You know, there's some things I've learned about Koreans from watching Korean TV. Not that we know anybody <clears throat> who might be Korean here. Um, but there are some different things culturally that are totally different. Like, I've already told my girls, one of these nights, we're going to watch a Korean movie, and we're going to play Korean bingo. And I'm going to get a bingo table, and I'm going to make it out with all the little things that they have in their culture. For instance, if you watch a movie or TV show, and this boy and this girl ever saw each other as young kids and played together, they're getting married by the end of the show. You can just count on it. That's just the way it's going to go, Right. The other thing, you know, another one would be there's going to be something that happens where there's going to be a little, you know, scooter, a car or a bike that's going to come by and the guy's going to grab the girl and spin her around and she's going to end up in his arms. They're getting married by the end of this. It's all you need to know. I mean, it's, it's those kinds of things. They have these things that are cultural for them. It's the same thing for Esther there. Everybody there lives in the, in the capital there that's working there. They would notice instantly if you started acting different than what the culture is. So we have to remember that that means how she talked, how she walked, how she acted. Everything about her was different or was the same as everybody around her. That's why they didn't know she was a Jew. Now let's talk about this in a spiritual sense. If you're a Christian, everybody should know you're a Christian. You shouldn't be fitting in exactly like everybody else. There should be things that you do differently than everybody else does. And for understand, part of that is what God says in his book, but a part of it is also what God says to you. Because let's face it, God says there are some things that I can do that you can't do, and vice versa. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was growing up, my great-grandma, Graham, that's what everybody called her. Um, how do I say this nice? Um... She was not dealing with a full deck of cards. I had a few fries short of, you know, Happy Meal. You know, there's a few of those different sayings. And one of the things that happened to her when she was in her 20-something, she got mixed up with a Ouija board. And as she got older, she had a real problem with devils and demons being around her in all sorts of different ways and shapes, whether or not they were or not. I'm not, I, I'm not casting any judgment on that. But that was enough for me growing up, understanding what her background and what it did to her. I wanted nothing to do with it. So we went out to watch a movie one time, a bunch of guys of us in the military. And we walked in the movie. They pulled out a Ouija board. I don't even remember what the name of the movie is. And I walked out. Why? I didn't want anything to do with it. Now, there are other people that stayed there. God bless them, but I'm gone. Uh, that's not for me. Now, that was a choice. I, that was one good choice I made, outweighed by bazillions of bad choices around the same time. Uh, so I don't use me as your spiritual reference point for at that, especially at that point in time. But nonetheless, that should be the way it is. There should, should be some things where you have made up in your mind, committed in your mind that I'm out of here. I'm not having anything to do with this. Or if this comes up, I'm not having any part of it. Uh, you know, and that's why. Because we are supposed to be different as a Christian. If I'm looking at you and I'm looking at the world and I can't see any difference, shame on you. Shame on me. Why? We're supposed to be different. It's those differences that should make some people like, well, why are you the why you are? Why can you have joy in the midst of some big trials and tribulations in your life? 
Why is it that you don't respond back like everybody else in anger and, and just filthiness that comes out of your mouth? There's a reason. And we can see that here in the opposite way. Turn over to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Now, I want to say this, you know, one way to look at it for these young ladies is for some of these young ladies, this is the closest thing to winning the biggest lottery you can ever think of in your life. Because wherever they were at in their lives, they got brought here and there was no expense that wasn't paid for. Uh, just think about that. Yeah, they had the whole year to clean up, but they were given the best of the best. Uh, this was not some simple, you know, um, or just, you know, herding a whole bunch of women in here like cattle and then bringing them out one at a time. It was a whole process. In Daniel chapter 12, we're going to look in verse 10, and it says, Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. We need to have some wisdom to understand when God wants us to do something and when not to, and know that there are some people around you, they may be Christians, they may be lost and call themselves Christians as well, that don't understand why you're doing some things. And part of that has to do with our liberty. We have liberty in Christ. And part of that is there are some things that are, according to the Bible, legal for me to do. And God says, not for you. You can't. I don't care what everybody else is doing. For you, this is a no. And that's what we're talking about here is, Understand, there are Christians that are going to like, well, why can't we go do this? Why can't you go do this? And when you tell them, well, the Lord told me no, they're like, well, show me book, chapter, verse. There may not be a book, chapter, verse. It's because God's just told you specifically, this is not for you. That needs to be good enough for us. That's going to make us difference or make us be a big difference. Over in Romans chapter 14, 17, it says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's a spiritual kingdom. That's what messed the Jews up is when they read uh, what Matthew wrote, it was all about the kingdom of heaven, the physical kingdom. And then they started changing as you go. And then you get to the book of John. It's all about the kingdom of uh, God. It's all about the spiritual kingdom. And that's what confuses a lot of people. There are still people today who go to a church, who have been to church every day, every service that's open, and has still have no clue about the differences between the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. Well, no wonder you're having problems with your Bible. Your foundation isn't good. Your foundation is supposed to be built upon, which is your salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. We got pastors who aren't even saved. How? Why are we surprised by the state of what churches are at? I mean, I don't know the Ridgefield thing. How many, how many churches could we even find in the city limits of Ridgefield that actually tell somebody how to get saved? I want you to think about that for a second. How many churches, I mean, biblically saved, not, you know, and all the other stuff. I mean, yeah, we can take all the cults and just, you know, throw them out. But how many of the churches who supposedly proclaim the name of Christ actually can teach somebody how to get saved? And it shouldn't be that way. Uh, continuing on in Esther chapter 2, verse 13. Then thus came every maiden unto the king. Whatsoever she desired was given to her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. Can you imagine that? The, this is the ultimate fill in your number on the check. Whatever you want. You want a silk garment that's brought all the way from China. You got it. 
maybe you want something that's all the lacy and the decorative stuff that people did back then, and that's what you want your dress out of. You got it. I want this makeup from Egypt. You got it. I want whatever it was to present yourself before the king, whatever it was that you thought you needed, the answer was yes. How many people would want that today? Where it says, you're going to go before the king, whatever you want, whatever you want to bring with you, whatever you want to wear, whatever, it doesn't matter. The answer is yes, just tell us and we'll get it for you. Why? Because they wanted to make sure that those people could present themselves in the best possible way before the king. And we're going to see some, there's some differences on that though. Here's the thing. You're going to show up before a king someday too. doesn't matter whether you're saved or lost. You're going to show up before the king of kings. And how are you going to show up? One thing to also remember on this, it says in verse 14, in the evening she went and on the morrow she returned to the second house of the women to the custody of Shashgaz, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines. She came unto the king no more except the king delighted in her and that she recalled by name. Every day there was a new woman going in before the king. They'd spend the night with him. After they were done with that, they went over to the concubine's house. Hopefully I don't have to fill in the blanks what that all means. Um, but I want you to think about this is once she'd been with the king, there was no going back to her old life. It should be the same way for a Christian. Once we get saved, we should never go back to the cheaper and beggarly things that the world has. We shouldn't be lusting after all the other stuff that we thought was so great before. I think some of the greatest uh, things that I've seen some people do is I've known some men like uh, Brother Brigham, Jeff Brigham to Japan, a missionary, he left a job at Boeing where he was getting paid very well. And God was talking to him. He says, I got to go. I got to go. I can't stay here. Um, there's been, um, there was a missionary to Africa. I forget his name, but he was a baseball player. He played for the Orioles. Huh? Bonner, that's it. Uh, Brother Bobby Bonner. Anybody here heard of Bobby Bonner? So uh, there's this guy called Cal Ripken that was really famous and that played all those games. Bobby Bonner was the guy that kept him down in the minor leagues and couldn't come up because of him. And God's got speaking to Bobby Bonner and telling him, hey, I have something for you to do. And he said, I got to go. I got to quit. He was keeping Cal Ripken from coming up to the major league. It's not like he didn't have the talent and capabilities. And God said, I want to use you for something. He goes, okay, then I got to get rid of this other stuff. I got to do what God wants me to do. I need to do it the way that God wants me to do it. I want you to think about that, presenting ourselves before the king. That's what we should, that should be our ultimate goal is. We Don't you want to be doing what God wants you to do when the trumpet blows? Well, here's the other scary thought is, you may be driving home after church and you may not make it home. Something could happen. You could have a heart attack while you're driving. Or maybe whoever's driving for you gives you a heart attack by the way they drive, whichever the case may be. You may, we have no guarantee for tomorrow. Are you ready to meet the king today? Are you doing what the king wants you to do? So when you show up to him, he goes, I created you and I gave you these special gifts. Are you using them for me? Well, Christian, that's kind of, you know, 
It's kind of a big deal. Um, and understanding that when these ladies left there, they were never going back to their family. Ever. They were there till they died. And the only way they ever left there is if the king said their name. I'm a, let's just be honest. You had to be pretty special for the king to remember who you are. Why? There's another girl coming through each day. And I, I feel sorry for any of them if I was there because I have a hard time with names the way it is. You know, um, she looks kind of like this. If you bring her here, I'll know who that is. That's as good as I could do. But that's not what the rule is. The king had to call her by name. How many of those young ladies went in there and never saw the king ever again? And how sad that must be. But see, the nice thing to have with our king is, not only does he know your name, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. It's not like the world. And so there's some great things that we can learn from this. Um, another thing is, you got one shot to impress the king. Have you ever thought about what people think when they meet you one time? They think, oh, that's a good Christian, or they think something else. How many times have you thought and you met somebody and your first impression was one way, and then later on you learn that, wow, your first impression was wrong, good or bad? How many times does the first impression not match up? Think about what the king had to see there is he's looking at all these young ladies. They've had a year to prepare. They can have, they got a blank check for whatever else, and he's got to wade through is what's real and what's not. What's real and what's not? I mean, let's think about, uh, for the young people today, let's look at how many young men and young ladies, they say one thing, they, whatever, whatever you want to put in there, they dress a certain way, they act a certain way, they talk a certain way. That does not mean that's who they are. And how often it takes months or years later to you find out who they really are. That's why the God, the Bible tells you to guard your heart. It doesn't matter whether you're a guy or a girl. Guard your heart. Keep them a little bit away until you find out who they really are. And at the same time, praying, God, show me, you know, what's what's going on there. And that's a hard thing. And that's, you know, my daughter had to deal with that uh, when she was down um, in Pensacola going to school, is dealing with there was a young man there she kind of liked a little bit. Well, it turns out he kind of liked her a little bit. But both of them just sat back and watched each other for a pretty fair amount of time to find out what is the character of that individual. Now, thankfully, she chose right, and I think that's because God was involved. I think the other thing is, is when I talked to his dad, one of his dads says, you got my best kid. I don't know about you, but that's what I like to hear. I would like to hear that every dad, when they, when they marry one of my daughters, they say, hey, this is my best kid. He's tr- he, his entire life, he's been trying to do things the right way. His entire life, his focus has been on God. It hasn't been on other stuff. Hey, sign me up for that. Now, here's the other side of the coin. They're going to have struggles and problems. But so much better when God's the center and the focal point for them as a couple going forward is, I don't have to worry about, well, who is this guy? Where is he turning to when problems come? Well, part of it is he has a pastor, his dad's a pastor, so, you know, he's got his dad, which is a good thing. But it's more important is, 
what's his relationship with the Lord, not what his dad is. You're not marrying the dad. You're not marrying the mom. And they're both sweet people. And I really enjoyed speaking with them and spending some time with them down in Florida. But you're not marrying people's parents. Well, unless you're down south and then there's the mom. So maybe a little bit. You know, they got the southern mother-in-law. You know, that's a little different kind of thing. Uh, But nonetheless is, as a young lady, you're putting yourself under the spiritual leadership of this guy. You better make sure his head's on straight and his heart is lining up with his head and they're both pointing towards God. If not, it's a train wreck. Turn back to Esther chapter 2. And it says in verse 15, Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go into the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women appointed, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. I think this is some wisdom here. She's saying, you're in charge. You've seen this whole thing. You've seen all the girls come through here. You know the king. You know the society. You know everything. Whatever you want. That's what I'm going to do. I'm totally putting my trust and faith in you to make me presentable unto the king. That's no different than what we're supposed to do as Christians is we're supposed to go to the Holy Spirit and say, hey, whatever I need to do, whatever I need to confess, whatever I need to clean up, whatever I need to get rid of, whatever that is, so I can be presentable to the king, sign me up. That's what's happening here. And we see this is that uh, it's kind of it's kind of mind-boggling in a sense. She's gone through a year. They say, whatever you want, and she goes, Here's the Chamberlain. I'll take whatever he wants. I'll dress up whatever he wants. Not the seven ladies that help me. Not what I think societal standards are. Not any of that stuff. I want that guy. So there had to be something in his character that she'd seen over the last year or so to go, hey, I trust him. That should be the goal as as Christians is other people should be able to come to us and have enough trust that out of Christian love, we're going to try to tell them what the book says. And understanding that when you tell people what the book says, it doesn't always make friends. Uh, it doesn't make you the, the most uh, valuable player on your team by quoting scripture. But what you're trying to do is tell them the truth. And you do it in love. See, that's the hard part. A lot of people want to tell truth. Uh, when, I, when I got uh, the, the King James Bible issue straightened out, uh, in my life, because I already told you I grew up Lutheran, so um, it, it was a miracle I got saved anyways. But after I got that, I, I had a tendency to want to go around and I guess the closest thing you say is hit people with it. I mean, that's the closest spiritual example is is my heart was in the right spot in the sense I wanted to get out the truth, but I didn't do it in love. The important thing is if we're going to witness to somebody, if we're going to try to reach them for the Lord Jesus Christ... We need to do it in love. And if we can't do it in love, then you probably aren't the person that God wants dealing with that person. Now, I will say that. There's always exceptions to rules. God can do whatever God wants to do. But when we're talking to people and we're witnessing to them and we're trying to encourage them, we should be doing it in love. Because one of the things we want to show is the love that God showed to us. We want to pay it forward. And if God hasn't shown you enough love, then the problem's you. The problem's not him. He is love. 
And so if there's a problem going on there where God hasn't shown you enough love, that means there's something going on with you that has made it so you're not seeing it. You're not paying attention to what he's done. You're not paying attention to like the little things like something happened and I'm going to church. I'm going to be late now, but now I need to go home to get something. And you're frustrated and irritated about it. And what you don't understand is God just saved you from an accident. Those kinds of things. There are a lot of things that go on in the spiritual realm that we cannot see and we don't understand all the things that God's really doing for us. And that's something amazing that God and only he can do. In verse 16, so Esther was taken unto the king of Hasperus into his house royal in the 10th month, which is the month Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. I think in my per- or my personal opinion, this is Jeff's version of it. This isn't Bible. I think he fell in love with her at first sight. I think he took one look at her and that's all it took. I think if everybody else, if the, just I want you to go back and remember, if everybody else around her preferred her more than anybody else, the Chamberlain and all the helpers, if, if, if her effect on the seven ladies that served her totally changed them and made them better than everybody else, I find it very hard to believe that the king, who, who knows how many hundreds potentially of women to come by, that he didn't see immediately there was something different about her. And it wasn't just the outward physical appearance. Because let's face it, there are a lot of men and there are a lot of women out there that are actually beautiful to look at. But on the inside, they're as ugly and filthy as you can possibly be. I think when he looked at her, he said he could look all the way inside and see that she was pure. She was clean. She was trying to do things in the right way. He probably noticed all the things that she was dressed up and adorned with that were different than everybody else. And let's face it, the New Testament talks about it for ladies. One of the things that it talks about is when I look at you, I better see you, not all the stuff. Be careful how you dress. Be careful all the bling you decide to put on you and all the other stuff. When I see you, I'm supposed to see you and who you really are. I'm not seeing you trying to impress everybody else and be like somebody else. Be who you are. God made you unique. God gave you a special beauty for whoever you are, boy or girl, for a reason. It wasn't by accident. Well, I'm not good looking enough. Maybe you're looking in the wrong mirror. Maybe the mirror you need to be looking at is in this one and how the Lord looks at you and not how the world looks at you. Because if you're, if your eyes are the only thing you're using to determine whether something's good or wrong, you are in a world of trouble. Cause you're going to get lied to. It happens. Hey, when I married my wife, she had dark brown eyes. I didn't know until after we get married, she had contacts. <laughs> you can get lied to is all I'm trying to say there. By then it's too late. You know, you already did the little, you signed the paperwork, you're married. But for you, it might be something different. Why? Because you see people that have a certain appearance. You see people that, oh, this must be the perfect Christian. And then you find out the rest of the story. And I'm sorry for those. I've had some people that I thought were really great Christian men and women that have utterly disappointed me in so many ways. That should never stop you from serving and doing the best. Hey, they may have messed up. They may have done something wrong. Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. 
When they go off the reservation and they do whatever, let them go. You keep following the Lord. Don't use them as an excuse for you stopping doing what you're supposed to do. Um, I want you to also think about in her particular case is she didn't have a mom. She had no mom. The closest thing she had to a mom was Mordecai. Um, unfortunately, in this world we live in, there are a lot of people through health, through divorce, through fill in the blank, don't have the perfect family. Uh, let's just be real about that. Now, that's not the way God wants it. God wants everybody to have a mom and a dad. But it doesn't always work out that way. That's not an excuse because at some point you grow up, it's like, you know, the old saying, you know, while you lived under your parents, you can complain about it. The instant you moved out, hey, it's all your fault now. You're done. You're making your own choices. You can't blame your parents for whatever else. And that is kind of the same thing here is understand she didn't have a mom. She didn't have a lot of the things that a lot of other people had uh, uh, as as what would be ideal. That's not an excuse for how you live your life. You're going to have some things in your life that are not going to work out well. Uh, you may be a young person and maybe you had a mom and a dad and you hit your 20s or 30s and you lost a parent. You lost a sibling. You lost a spouse. There are things in life that happen that aren't ideal. They're not what we would want. They're not the, they're not the Disney version of happily ever after. And that's one of those things that that's when those circumstances in our life come. You need to get your eyes off you and get your eyes back on the Lord. And when you're having those problems and those difficulties that go through there in that, you go back to the Lord. Hey, Lord, you know, you know I don't have a mom. And how great it would be for me to be able to speak to my mom before I go talk to the king about how I should act before the king. You know, you were married, you had a husband, you had all this stuff. Can you give me words of wisdom? All that kind of stuff. You know, maybe it's the family recipe, you know, because let's just face it. It's like growing up, my, one of my sayings was for my youngest boy, the first girl that cooks for him, it's over. Cause I, the rest of it does not matter if she can cook because he was entirely food motivated. Everything for his life revolved around food. And one of those things is she did not have the availability to be able to go and ask her mom for advice. She really couldn't even ask her dad. All she had was Mordecai who did his best job to be both for her. And praise God, in your case, if you grew up and you didn't have a mom and dad, I'm going to tell you something. I hope you had a godly parent. But even if you didn't, you still had a heavenly father. And he can make up for the difference of whatever that you're lacking. Whatever that you missed in that fellowship with a human person. Understand, he's the best example there is. Nobody, there is no human being that is able to take care of you like God can. He can be the greatest mom and dad for you. Um, one of the other things that I noticed when I got married is my wife uh, worked with my mom to make her wedding dress. Well, you know what? When you get saved, one of the things that happens on that is you have a foundation that's made it, but it's up to you after that foundation. What are you going to put on that foundation? Is it going to be wood, hay, and stubble, or is it going to be precious stones and gold and silver and those kinds of things? 
And that's why it talks in 1 Peter 1.7 about the trial of your faith. How are you going to come out when you go to the judgment seat of Christ? All the stuff that you're doing now has a direct relation to how fancy your wedding dress is going to be. That's the, you know, my version of it. Uh, you know, how, you know, do you want the plain white one or do you want to have some fancy lace and all the other stuff? That's up to you. It says then in uh, verse 16, so Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus into his house royal in the tenth month, which is the month Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. Uh, notice here the seventh year. The number seven shows up a few times already and has implications to Daniel's 70th week uh, and the book of Revelation. Uh, it takes place in the 10th month. Anybody idea what the 10th month is? October. That's in our calendar. Uh, but it, back then, they did not use the Gregorian calendar. Uh, the Gregorian calendar came out in October 1582 by Pope Gregory Twelfth as a modification or replacement for the Julian calendar, and the principal change was to get leap years in. Um, and so back then, the Jewish calendar is using a solar year. So here's an interesting thought. You might remember this if you uh, went to school somewhat recently. October in Greek is Octoveria uh, or something like that, of which octo is the first part of it, the prefix. What is octo? What's the number? But you just told me October was 10, right? And so remember, in Greek, it's 8. October in Spanish is Octobre. Ocha is eight, uh, ocho is eight in Spanish or oco in Latin. So in, in Spanish, Latin, Greek, the prefix for the tenth month is the number eight. Don't worry, I'll give you the rest of the story. Just hang on a minute. Let's go to November. In Greek, it's Novembria, of which I can't even say it. It's E-N. Uh, A-I-A, but it's not really an A, it's the other thing, it looks like an A, is nine in Greek. In Spanish, it's novembre, of which nueve is nine in Spanish, is in Spanish, novum is nine in Latin. So in both Spanish, Greek, and, uh, these, and Latin, the prefix is the number nine. So let's go to December. What number is December? Twelve, right? December in Greek is DK, uh, DK, uh, yeah, whatever, of which the number is Deca. December in Spanish is Decembre, of which Diaz is 10, or Decem in Latin is 10. So in all those languages, December, the prefix for it is 10. Those month names come from the old Roman calendar, which was pre-Julian, and it was made by, uh, uh, the Julian calendar came about in 45 BC, which had 10 months, which is very close to the Jewish calendar. So, Esther went into the house royal in the month of December in our calendar. The 10th month of their calendar. Tabeth was the Jewish month from mid-December to mid-January, of which the name was used uh, after the Babylonian exiles and may be related to the Syrian word for Tebetav, which means rain. So, just showing you sometimes when you get into stuff, understand there's some goofy things in our language that are pointing back to something else. Your calendar is showing you 
the old Jewish calendar just by the names of it. I mean, because you have to think about it. December 10, November 9, October 8. I'm sure that was an accident. I'm sure that was an accident. God never had anything to do with that. Maybe to point you back to show you something that that Jewish calendar is a big deal. That Jewish calendar is what's going to determine when the Lord comes back and when he calls you home if the trumpet blows. So let's continue on. Um, in Esther chapter 2, verse 18... Uh, or let me go back to verse 17. And the king loved Esther above all women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the crowing royal upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Have you ever thought what it must have been like for Esther when the king came and placed that crown on her head? He had the pick of the entire world, so to speak, and he chose her. If you're saved here today, you're a child of the king. That makes you a prince or a princess right now. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to the world, but what God did in his own way is when you chose to accept him as as your father spiritually, he's putting a crown on your head. He's doing the same exact thing as what the king did here. Understand that the the how God is placing you is God is placing you in a place That's not something we would do. See, if we were doing it like God is, we'd say like, well, if you can clean yourself up and make yourself good enough, I'll bring you into the kingdom and then put a crown on you. God just says, you accept me as your savior and I'm putting on your credit and your crown and it doesn't matter how the rest of it turns out. You're my kid. Imagine if we could see spiritually what happened in the instance we got saved. Imagine what that must be like. I mean, we can talk about beauty. And here in Washington, when it's sunshiny out like it's been this year, it's the most beautiful place on the earth to see all the green, to see the mountains, to see the trees, to see real mountains, especially for you people from Florida. You guys don't know what mountains are. I mean, their deer are only this big. I mean, you a kid can ride on them because you can't put anything else on them. You know, that kind of a thing. Just, you know, side note. Imagine what happened spiritually when you got down on your knees and you begged and pleaded with the Lord to save you. And he's like, the first thing he does is spiritually put a crown on your head and says, that's mine. That's mine. And it's not just some, you know, worthless, you know, Burger King. You know, I went to Burger The Lord's like, I went to Burger King and got all these crowns and hang on a second while I put the cardboard back together. Here you go. That's not what happened. The king of kings said, you're my child. I'm picking you. There's no greater honor that we could have on this earth than the Lord to say, you know what? I want you to be part of my family. But the amazing thing about him is he goes, I want everybody to join. I don't want just you. I want everybody. For God is not willing that any should perish. That's an amazing thing to think the king of the universe wants everyone yeah, Lord, but but you don't know that person. They're, God says, no, I want them too. Yeah, but ha, ha, have you seen what they... God says, no, I want them too. He goes, by the way, let's start talking about you a little bit. Let's talk about some of the choices you made. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, please save them. We don't have to... Yeah, I know, Lord, we don't have to go back through that. 
right? It's that kind of a thing. Imagine what it must have been for Esther that the king had the pick of everyone. And he says, I want you. And put the king and put that crown on her head. That was no little thing. That was not something to just read over in your Bible and think, well, that, this is the king of the world's greatest power at that point in time. And he chose Esther. He said, she didn't go leave the next day. We don't even know how long she was there before. He's like, that's the one. How amazing that must have been for Esther because she had to go by faith. She's doing everything the Chamberlain told her to do. She's wearing what the Chamberlain told her to wear. She's acting the way the Chamberlain told her to act. And guess what? It all worked out good. It turned out happily ever after. You know, if we do it God's way, we act like God wants us to act. We talk like God wants us to act. Guess what? It'll work out well for us in the end too. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless each person here who came to hear something from your book. I pray, Lord, that you'd minister to each need here, Lord. You know every single person here, where they're at in their life, the difficulties and struggles they're in, Lord. Please minister to them, Lord. Lift them up, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.